This is Founder Coffee. Every few weeks, I have coffee with a different founder. We discuss life, passions, learnings in an intimate talk, getting to know the person behind the company. For this 45th episode, I talk to Nick Franklin, founder and CEO of Chartmogul, one of the leading platforms to track and analyze subscription metrics for SaaS and mobile subscription companies. Previous to Chartmogul, Nick worked at Zendesk, and he started up its EMEA and then its Asian operations as a general manager. He experienced firsthand how difficult it was to track and analyze their metrics, and he built up a system for it internally. It wasn't very user-friendly, however, nor did it answer all his questions quickly. So after five years at Zendesk, he went out on his own and started Chartmogul. We talk about the joys of building stuff and hiring the right people, how he's looking to go deeper in the current niche, his plans with implementing EOS, living in Korea, and developing your own inner confidence. Welcome to Founder Coffee. Hey Nick, it's great to have you on Founder Coffee. It's great to be here, yeah, thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, you're your co-founder of uh, Chartmogul. For those who don't know yet, uh, what do you guys do at Chartmogul? Yes, yeah, so Chartmogul is, we're building the, the world's first subscription data platform. And what that means is that you know, we're building a platform to allow you to calculate uh, your subscription metrics and measure your, manage and measure your subscription revenue. So we're allows you to do things like subscription analytics, as well as just revenue reporting in general. So we plug into your startup's billing system, uh, this might be Stripe or Recurly or Chargebee or PayPal or even the Apple App Store or Google Play. You plug those things in, that gets all ingested automatically and parsed and normalized. And we order, then once we have that, we automatically calculate a lot of the common SaaS metrics like monthly recurring revenue, churn rate, lifetime value, and things like that. And there's a whole bunch of advanced tools for doing segmentation, cohort analyses, and also for pushing that data out into other systems as well, where it can be useful. So kind of like a yeah, subscription analytics data platform for subscription businesses. Over half our companies are SaaS businesses um, and uh, a lot of mobile subscription these days as well. And uh, we're about 42, 43 people, remote company, um, about five years old and uh, yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's the short intro. <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah, I, I didn't know you were going beyond uh, SaaS companies. So what does that mean, mobile subscription businesses? Yeah, so this could be a fitness app, meditation app on the iPhone. Oh, okay. Uh, e-learning, uh, online education, a language learning app or something like that. Yeah, anything really mobile. I mean, it's not just mobile, but that has been the trend in the last couple of years is uh, it, I mean, we've always been around two-thirds B2B SaaS and one-third uh, consumer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the trend in the last couple of years has definitely been towards uh, mo- mobile subscriptions versus desktop subscriptions. A lot of those, um, yeah. uh, especially the, this year, you know, with the lockdowns and stuff, a lot of people signing up for uh, dance classes, you know, virtual dance classes on the, on the iPad or, or things like yeah, e- e-learning remote learning and things like that. So um, yeah, it's definitely been uh, been the trend there. But yeah, the, our bread and butter is probably B2B SaaS. Maybe it's, it's less, maybe for, for people like you and me, it's less exciting than these other ones, right? <laughs> like uh, I, I, iPhone meditation or, 
these kind of apps are kind of a bit more fun because it's a bit different yeah. from what we, do, what we do in our day-to-day. Yeah, 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 I understand. No, um, um, I had a question, but now I forgot it. Uh, what, what, is, what is the main thing that you, that you bring to these businesses, actually? I don't know whether it's different from B2B SaaS to mobile subscription businesses, but what is the reason that people come to, you, to ChartMogul, uh, like, like yeah. in, in, in the most simple way? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's basically a bunch of kind of, I guess there's, there's, there's two or three parts to it. Um, first of all, the first part of the value that we bring is mostly around automation. So you might say you're a subscription business that builds your customers using uh, Stripe, but then you also have maybe revenue in, in, in uh, PayPal and maybe in App Store and Google Play, who knows, multiple systems, or even if it's just a single system. You you want to you want to be able to calculate a bunch of business metrics. You want to be able to calculate your cash flow, your um, your monthly recurring revenue, a churn rate, and a, a kind of a bunch of general high level management metrics that your your leadership team are interested in tracking the performance of the company, and also your finance team are interested in for planning budget planning. And your and if you have investors, they in other stakeholders, they, they'd be interested in just kind of getting a sense for how one of their portfolio companies is doing. So we effectively automate the process of giving you that stuff in real time. Like uh, we give you all those, all the kind of most useful metrics that are most a subscription business uh, needs in real time with no, no very either no or very little coding required. Um, Whereas previously that would be a lot of work in Excel and then it's out of date or it's not up to date or it would be the data science team having to build that out, you know, build and maintain scripts and data stack to, to give you all that kind of stuff. So it's but the first piece of value is around just automating the process of, of calculating the stuff and keeping it up to date. The second piece of value um, is around going deeper than that. It's around insight and, and kind of discovering things that might change decision-making like kind of looking at pricing, like, you know, looking at your various plans and comparing the performance of the plans. And might might a very common use case is after people use Charmogul, they, they end up changing their pricing um, to better optimize their business. So like they, they kind of, it's helping with the support decision-making within the organization. You can also plug in other data sources, not just the payment billing systems, but things like uh, HubSpot for marketing channel. So you can then see, okay, well, which marketing channels have uh, higher... Uh, lifetime value or better better retention rates that customers will come from which which channels and that that also helps support decision making within the growth marketing team so that's the second piece of value um, that it supports it's kind of these two things like automation uh, and then sort of supporting decision making I guess the two main two primary pieces of value that we bring to our, our customers it's kind of the same regardless of if they're B2B SaaS or if they're mobile their consumer yeah understood cool how did you get to the idea of starting chart mogul it was five years ago or so and you you figured i need a better way to do one of these two things or how did that happen yeah i mean so the the backstory is i i started my career in product uh and and a little bit of engineering but i'm not a very good engineer so mostly in product um in, in a startup in the UK, um, <clears throat> and while I was there, I um, I became a customer of Zendesk, 
the, the support ticketing system. Uh, and then after Zendesk did their Series A, they reached out to me and, and, and I ended up joining their team uh, and uh, in the UK and built up the start of their UK operations. And I moved to Asia and started their Asian operations, opening office in Tokyo and, and Manila, Philippines, um, and kind of built up the sales and support for yeah, EMEA Europe and then also the Asia region for, for Zendesk. And I spent five years at um, <clears throat> uh, Zendesk on the commercial side. And uh, while I was there, you know, you get measured if you're in a, in, if you're in a kind of sales role uh, or sales management, sales leadership role, you get measured on how much MRR uh, you bring in in a given quarter or given month in a given quarter. And so we had built some dashboards for showing internally as kind of custom stuff to show, okay, well, how, you know, how well, how well are you doing? Uh, and so it's quite addictive. And so these dashboards were, the user experience wasn't, wasn't very good. We were using a uh, off the shelves. We were using a SaaS product, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't really meant for subscriptions businesses. It was just meant to, uh, you know, do any, any kind of analysis and the use so therefore the user experience wasn't really very sassy in a way. Like the, some of the, I think some of the whole idea of SaaS is you create these like well-designed, beautiful, beautifully simple user experiences. And I, that's kind of what we were trying to do at Zendesk. And I think that's what most SaaS founders I know are trying to do is trying to take something that's usually quite, quite uh, unpleasant in terms of its user experience you know, from the old, from the old kind of enterprise software has a kind of bad rap, bad reputation for being uh, uh, not particularly well-designed or user-friendly in terms of the look and feel. And then kind of taking that and making it simpler and more friendly and bring it uh, online. So uh, anyway, to get to the point, uh, we, we, had, we had built something internally and because of the numbers that were in there, it was a little bit addictive to keep checking that, but the user experience wasn't very good and it wasn't very empowering experience. So for example, when I was responsible for Asia, it would have been good to be able to kind of see, okay, well, which markets are performing better than other? Like what's the average revenue per customer in Singapore versus Hong Kong or something like that. Uh, but it was kind of hard to kind of play with the data and slice it up. So anytime you want to do anything, you have to like maybe send an email off and, and ask the uh, you know data team to uh, build you a new report. And then you have to follow up two weeks later when it doesn't get done or something like this kind of very typical traditional thing that would happen in companies. Whereas, you know, ideally the people that actually want to understand a thing could just click around and kind of get the answers to their questions themselves. So the idea came sort of from there, that experience of seeing, okay, how is <clears throat> MRR getting measured and these, these things and the power, the, the potential power there. So I just figured um, maybe I, if I built something just for subscription businesses as, a, as its own SaaS product, I could give a more empowering uh, user you know, experience to, to, to people but make it, you know, niche just for subscription businesses. So, yeah. uh, and also I, I want to, as a, my heart is really in product, not in, well, I spent five years doing sales and support. Uh, I, I, I want to get back into product. So yeah, I left Zendesk in the you know, mid, middle of 2014 and I sort of threw myself into starting this business. Yeah. Oh, returning back to the product base. Yeah. I, I, I can yeah. see how um, starting your own company is a good way to get back to, to building stuff. 
Um, yeah, I think that was always an ambition as well. So I, I guess I could have gone back and, and uh, I could have gone back to being an, a team member within another company in product. And, and, you know, I would have been happiest doing that as well. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I also had this ambition of uh, trying to see if I could yeah, start a, start a startup and make it work. It's kind of like, I don't know, I had the itch to scratch, right? So I just felt like I have to do it, I have to try. And I, you know, I got to that point, I don't know, I, I think I was th- just turned 30 or something like this, or was about to, I just felt like I should just go for it. Otherwise I'll regret not, um, not uh, just going, you know, going, quitting my job and going all in. If I, yeah. <laughs> have you always been into building stuff? Like um, obviously, Previously in your career, you were you were product managing and and doing some engineering as well. Uh, but before that, um, did you yeah. always like doing that, or is it Absolutely. just something I grew I mean, on you? Yeah. No, I always like building stuff. Yeah, I mean, always, always. Yeah, from when I was a kid, I'd make like I. I mean, I used to make like stop motion animated uh, animated short films using like a Super Eight eight millimeter camera and then web oh. when the webcam came out what by the we bought a webcam and you use that for doing stop motion animation and i thought i'd go into film i started like film production but then i i got excited about software and technology when i was in university um in university i was doing like animation and illustration and i got but I, i got kind of more interested in software so i ended up building a, a social network for artists uh uh when i was in uh in university uh, because I was just a bit, I wasn't a very good student. I was quite um, disinterested, I guess, at the time in my, my studies. So I started learning PHP, MySQL, LAMP, you know, stack and, uh, um, and, and building that and then launched that. And we actually got on TechCrunch, which was pretty cool. And it sort of did okay for a while, but never, it was never really like a, a business that would take off. So yeah, I think, uh, actually sold it for a token amount of money at some point uh, and, and moved on <laughs> and yeah. then and got a job after university. So, so yeah, I've always been doing something. I saw I had it in my mind that I, I you know, I might want to try and start a business because it allows you to build whatever you want to build, I suppose, mm-hmm. uh, as long as it's commercially viable. So. Yeah. And after, if, if, if you ever stop with chart mogul, would you then consider going back into things like video and animation? Uh, it seems like, but if your heart is there as well, uh, I don't think so. I, I I think I prefer product. Um, mm-hmm. Like if, if I look at the companies I really admire, I think I like the I like the combination of tech, uh, hardware and software, like Apple. I mean, uh, or or even you know like uh, car companies, um, or, or like or like Dyson or something where they use they mix hardware and software like together is kind of cool, but. It's a romance, you know. Just thinking, thinking about you know, but we, it doesn't make any sense for our, for 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 Chart Mogul's purely software company. But I don't think I would go if I was to do something different. It would be to try to do something where like Elon Musk's businesses are also a combination of hardware and software. Right? So it's kind of like, uh, um, but if I if I wasn't to do this, it'd probably be it wouldn't be to go into film production. It'd probably be yeah. just do some something else in technology's uh, sphere. Um, cool. Yeah, for sure. Why do you why do you think hardware and software? Because it feels more tangible than a software product, or 
I don't know, just, uh, I, you know, when, when you do 3D computer animation, you also spend a lot of time doing 3D modeling um, and also CAD, CAD modeling and stuff like that. Um, I'm familiar with you know, using SOLIDWORKS and some, some manufacturing techniques. I, I don't know, just something, yeah, it's tangible. Uh, hardware is usually consumer, right? Like there's less, well, I'm not sure actually, but the, the hardware that we see is usually consumer, right? Consumer products or, or, but I guess there's a, there's a whole ton of B2B hardware as well, but I'm just not as familiar with that. I'm more, you know, because as not being someone, we don't really buy B2B hardware. Uh, yeah, more, no. Maybe, maybe monitors or something, right? For the office. Monitors, but, right. Yeah, yeah. I was also yeah, yeah. looking around here and uh, today I'm in the <laughs> office wondering yeah, right. like B2B hardware, what is it? Well, it's like, it's like machinery, machinery, <laughs> machinery. Uh, 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 lots of stuff, you know, industrial, I get, I, I don't know what, if, what's bigger consumer, you know, airplanes, I, it tons of stuff. Right. But I, I, I just, I don't know, I just, just kind of interest, right. Like, uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of interesting. You know, like uh, I'm into motorbikes, or I, I used to own two of them. Now I own none of them, sadly. But uh, you know, just something like, uh, yeah, I think it's part of the part of the tangible part. Um, but then I do also love software as well. So I think kind of businesses like that mix somehow tech together, robotics. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, um, it, it's kind of interesting. What What is your 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 plan currently with uh, with Chart Mogul? Um, are you guys planning to go into more um, niches, let's say, because you mentioned you were doing B2B SaaS, some B2C SaaS next to that, and now growing the mobile subscription business, or are there other plans that you're you're making? Maybe expanding into hardware, probably not. But. <laughs> no, no, probably not there. Uh, not, not into hardware, but our, our plan is to is to actually go deeper into our current niche. So we're not going to add new markets anytime soon. Um, our plan is to be the very best product for doing subscription analytics, for managing your subscription billing data, for getting, for basically get, getting value out of your subscription revenue, subscription payment, subscription billing data, um, extracting value from that. Um, yeah. and, and going super deep on that. There's still a ton of stuff we haven't done. Um, yeah. so maybe you yeah, like, I mean, I think if you're like, we, we have stronger product market fit for, for a small SMB SaaS with 10, 30, 40 employees than we do for a SaaS company that has, you know, three, 400, 500 employees or more. Um, at some point, the requirements become more and more complex over time and they require more and more flexibility. So we're, we're building that flexibility. We, we have large customers that do 100 million or more in, in, in annual recurring revenue. And uh, we want to be able to be like a really strong fit for those type of businesses, as well as the startups where we have lots of those too. But uh, so there's just a ton of stuff to, that we need to get better at um, and provide more, some more functionality, improve the functionality we already have, add more flexibility, add more performance and power and stuff. You know, it's also like, product uh, if you have a few hundred thousand subscribers it's slower than it is if you have a few hundred subscribers or whatever so yeah. there's just a there's just a ton of stuff to better serve the existing market that we're already serving and to get better at that and i think the bigger gains for us is about really focusing on that core that we're already already good at but we want to get really great at it where it's like 
just a total no-brainer. If you're if you're uh, if you're a SaaS company or a subscription business, uh, you know, digital digital subscription business, um, you know, we we don't do so much focus on uh, physical products. There are you know subscription box, dollar shape club type businesses. That's not our niche. Uh, our niche mm-hmm. is really digital subscription products and. I think the bigger, the best thing we can do, and the best way we can serve our customers and grow, as, is through in, increasing, narrowing, and increasing our, our focus. And yeah, we're hiring more engineers, more product people, uh, etc., uh, in order to just just double down on that and just provide the better products. Yeah. Better well, what products. is exactly in the core? Uh, do you consider? Um, um, helping salespeople to identify the right leads or identifying churn or something like that. Is that also part of the core or is the core really around unlocking subscription data to get insights? I think it's, it's two things. It's, it's, the, it's the two pieces of value I talked about before. Automatically uh, making it as easy and quick and easy as possible to get accurate metrics in the way that you want them. So yeah. that even okay. even that is a hard thing in itself. People like to measure things in different ways. There are different. There are things. There's something called committed or contracted MR, and, and then there's something called more MR or realized MR. Um, so it's like uh, there's there's a lot of different. Uh, there's different ways to to measure things, and there's different metrics that different types of companies care about. Like one thing that we need to do a better job at is providing. Uh, better reporting and more value for B2B SaaS companies that don't have any monthly subscriptions. So that the purely annual contracts or two-year contracts, um, these kind of uh, SaaS businesses, there's a lot of those. And we have a lot of those as our customers, but we could do a better job of uh, servicing those customers, annual, you know, looking at better, better reports around annual churn, annual retention, like you know these kind of things where right now it's a bit too geared towards monthly subscriptions so we need to add more flexibility there for example it's just one example of like 10 20 different things that we need to improve um in order to better service our our core in terms of helping sales reps identify leads probably not i think there's a whole industry that does that like uh yeah uh slice used to be called slice it's not called that infer it's called now um uh, and and that was one of the first ones where there's tons of lead scoring. You know, Mad Kudu, cool, nice, cool company. Um, and so that whole thing is probably you know, and, and there's things that plug in. It's kind of the CRM domain and things that plug into the CRM there. We and identify churn. I mean, I'm not sure, I'm not quite sure what that that means. I didn't, the other point you made. Identify yeah, identify churn. Yeah. No, oh, okay, I get it. You, you, you're, you're staying with with the data. That's your core, and uh, you're building around that. Um, in 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 terms of funding, I, you guys raised. Uh, I think you mentioned about three seed rounds. Um, not really raising a Series A right now. I don't know about that. Maybe that's a uh, that's something um, private. But uh, what is what is your your plan there? Are you planning on on taking more money? Is there something you're holding off now? Is there something you can tell us about that? So I mean, our our um, we're, we're kind of cash flow positive right now, more or less. Plus some some months we burn we mm-hmm. burn more, but so we, we don't have an immediate cash crunch. We're forty plus people with uh, with uh, you know good good growth. So there's 
we're able to hire more engineers and more more people, more marketing, more sales, and things like this, as our revenue is growing quite quite healthily. Um, so I think with with raising additional capital, we look at it and we kind of assess this periodically about our capital needs um, and what. But also, you have to look. Okay, what would what what would you do with that additional capital? How would you spend it? Would you get a healthy sure. return where it's like uh, makes sense for the both the investors and the company? all the stakeholders involved, right? Um, so far, uh, yeah, we, we've been really lucky and happy to have great investors and, and we've spent their money <laughs> to get where we are. And we've also spent our customers' revenue to get where we are as well. We, we pretty much invest everything back into the, into the company. I think if we felt we were capital constrained and we weren't, you know, we, we weren't able to be as ambitious as we want to because we don't have enough money, then I feel like that would be a good reason to, to raise more. Or if we felt that, you know, we could pump 10, 10 million, 20 million into sales and marketing and we'd get a healthy return in terms of the delta between what we're doing now and, and what the output would be if we pump more capital into sales and marketing. And, and like, would, we, would, that, would that be a good use of capital? Would it be a healthy, healthy growth? Um, and so we kind of assess that. And I, I guess so far the answer has been, we're kind of comfortable and, 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 and we have enough cap capital coming in and, and from remaining from our last round. But, it's, but we'll see the, you know, the, what the future holds, what makes sense yeah. in the future. Is, uh, Sounds good. Decided. Yeah. Uh, what, uh, if you would say, if you mention something that keeps you up at night lately, uh, what, what would that be? Not, not capital, uh, apparently. Um, keeps me up at night. I mean, late. I'd say the, oh, I mean, this is probably not a good road to go down in terms of conversation, but over half our revenues are from the, we're about 55% of our revenues from the US market. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say I, I have, a, have, a, have, a, have a vested interest, <laughs> apart from you know, knowing lots of lovely people who live in the US, but also have a vested interest in that, that, that the, in the US being a stable and healthy and strong economy. So yeah, I guess, yeah. uh, is so, it uh, the US, US dollar uh, being a bit lower is what you mean? Or uh, just in general, like, uh, you know, I, I just, a, a strong US economy and uh, stable and strong US economy and, and, all, and the dollar too is just good for us. We, we, we make our revenues in US dollars and uh, we earn half our customers are in the US, et cetera. Mm -hmm. so, so definitely um, I, I, I want the US to <laughs> do well. So I guess yeah. uh, looking at looking at the news uh, recently, I guess it's, uh, it's a, a, a bit of a. Um, uh, although actually things have been very healthy for us, um, there was a bit of a rough patch around March, April, but since May, June, July, it's all been uh, this month. It's, things are very healthy. We're going very well. So I, I mean, the, the the data looks like in terms of what we see um, with our own like sales seems seems healthy, but, uh, um, you know, just the, looking at the news and the economic news and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I feel you. Just, just a bit, uh, a bit where I, you know, just, uh, I'm an optimist. I hope everything. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, it's a kind of, that's a, it's a dangerous conversational road to go down perhaps. <laughs> mm -hmm. But, uh, but, uh, no, but yeah, yeah. 
I completely okay. feel you. We also get make a, a big part of our revenues in the US. Uh, the US dollar is a bit lower, which makes uh, for, for less euros for, for the money we normally make. Uh, plus, yeah, it's not good for, for businesses in general, our customers. Um, it's not that we're seeing a lot of churn, but it's not like things are flourishing either. So <laughs> a similar yeah. situation also with, with two down months and then, and then things back up, but it's not situation is not amazing let's say yeah i mean the you know europe does is a big trading partner we're european business primarily our headquarters from berlin and, you know us is a, is a is big trading partner of uh of europe yeah. and we rely on them and they you know so you know only only uh obviously uh yeah um the, the the coronavirus stuff uh, this year has been stressful for everyone. I mean, also uh, in general, like we like to do annual offsite. Of course, we have to cancel. We've had to cancel that this year, so I don't mm-hmm. get to see. I don't get to see the team. I just get to see the teammates I have around me here in Seoul, which is just uh, you know two other folks right now. Although we are hiring a couple more people, so it'll be a bit. It'll be a bit more of a community here, but uh, we're pretty distributed and pretty remote. So uh, that's that's a that's a real bummer. I hope we can do it next year. That's the yeah, yeah. Uh, praying we can do our annual, you know, it's, uh, I mean, on, on, on the one side, I, you know, we save some money doing it, but we'd rather spend the money and, 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 and do the offsite. It would be, uh, it would be fun to see everyone. So that's, uh, yeah, yeah. That's also similar situation here. M- main thing with working remote, the working remote itself is not so much an issue, but not seeing teammates kind of, uh, puts a pressure on the atmosphere a little bit. Um, yeah, you want to you want to do that periodically, right? I mean, you want to do you know leadership offsite and, and a whole company offsite once a year and these kind of things. So, and not being able to do that's definitely a bummer. Yeah, it's definitely not cool. Um, so, but anyway, yeah. I mean, I don't want to sound like these are minor complaints. Some of the, some of the industries that are directly impacted are like, you know, uh, we're we're extremely lucky that we can continue like uh, continue For sure. working. For sure. So, yeah. What what is it that you spend uh, most of your time working on right now? These days, I mean, I think there's two main focus areas for me in my day-to-day is product and people, um, people and people and product. I should have said people first because it's clearly more important. Um, so we, we, we have a head or a lead, you know, like a VP or a head or head of some or a director of some uh, for, of department for every department at Charmogle except for product. So I lead our product team as four product managers and myself. So I'm still heavily involved in product. Every other department has a leader that uh, fully owns your know, own sales, owns marketing, owns customer success, owns finance, owns creative team, owns engineering, et cetera. So I don't have to, uh, you know, I just have to give my input or we do, you know, weekly leadership meetings and one-on-ones, these kind of things, but I don't have to run the day-to-day of any, part of the business, uh, I'm more heavily involved in the, pro- but the product part I'm quite heavily, in- heavily involved in. I review all the, do a lot of reviewing and Q- even QA and stuff before releases and these things and the people side. Yeah, I mean, uh, always looking at that. We're currently, everyone on our, on our leadership team is currently reading a book called uh, Traction, um, which is, uh, I don't know if you've heard of this book, but it's, it's, it's about the yeah. EOS, entrepreneurs operating system mm-hmm. and we have we're all reading it i think most of us are done by now um so we're, we're kind of going to discuss okay do we what do we want to 
do we want to implement the EOS or some parts of it or which parts of it then? Like, um, it's just a way to like, a way to run your business in an efficient way. And I think, um, although you could, you could kind of come up with your own, your own systems and processes and ways to run your business. It's like, that's a bit like, it's a bit like buy, buy versus build, right? There's these the people that wrote this book or the, the person, I guess it's only one person, but the, the people that are behind traction and the EOS, you know, they spent a lot of time, you know, consulting and thinking about the best way to, to run a business. So this, whereas we, we, I spend a lot of our time, we spend our time thinking about just child local product and customers. And we don't think necessarily like what's the best way to run a business. So you, if you can take some of these things and that they've thought long and hard about and implement, then you can definitely get some. So yeah, yeah. kind of think about that and how to kind of helps us scale a bit more in a bit more of an organized way, moving towards like quarterly planning, full different teams and, performance reviews and things like things like this so yeah definitely people and product i guess that's the answer uh, a previous guest on the show david hensel of maxidian is a is a huge fan of eos uh, if you ask him what he would do uh, if it started any business again it's always implementing eos and he's started quite some businesses right now all based on oh, well. eos if you want uh, any uh, uh, advice on it um, i can connect you both Oh uh, yeah, I would love to. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk to you after for sure. I even um, think he uses it in his coaching business now. He la- launched a coaching business called UpCoach. Ah, uh, okay. And I think that's also partly based on the US, but not sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm definitely new to it, so I'm not an expert. I'm I'm on my second uh, on my second run through it in order to um, yeah make it stick because there's a lot. It's pretty dense. There's a lot in there. Um, so yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, some, some of it we're kind of naturally doing already, and, uh, but a lot of it we're not. So it's, it's uh, yeah. but it's important. I, I, I like the idea. It's like, it's about working on the business, not in the business. So I think by default, the, the, the trap is just to always work in the business, right? Busy work, mm-hmm. just go to work on your computer, just answer emails, answer Slack, do a bit of this, do a bit of that. But you never, if you don't take, if you don't consciously step back and try to work on the business and okay what are the what are they uh, how, are, how are we actually working together how is this actually going now and again at mm-hmm. least like once a quarter it doesn't happen right so this is a good framework for that yeah uh, we, we we actually do that every two weeks this afternoon we're uh, at that again um we have a team oh, meeting wow. and then uh, we write down what's not going well and what's going well uh, and then for the things that are not going well, we look for solutions and that's often changing a process somewhere or something. Um, and we learn from the things that went well. It's a bit of a combination of on and in the business, but a lot of it is, is, is working on the business as well. Yeah. Right. Right. That's good. Yeah. Every two weeks, that's better. <laughs> yeah. It's quite often, I must say, but, but it's, it's, it's good to be close to the, when things happened. So uh, probably mean sales flare is better on than than chart model. <laughs> hmm? It probably means that sales flare is better run than than chart model. Probably. Oh, that I don't know. I have no idea how chart model is run. <laughs> Making no judgments. Me, me neither. No, I'm just kidding. Of course. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, yeah. So, uh, what is it that you do actually uh, next to work? Uh, you mentioned you're um, you're based in Seoul. Uh, any any f- 
fun stuff you do in Seoul or or are you into sporting or into I you said you were into motorbiking but not right now not not anymore and and Korea doesn't uh, and this is probably for the best but uh, when you when I flip my when I when I flip my um, converted my um, uh, I had a German license I was in Berlin before but when you when you convert that into a Korean license they drop the motorbike from the license if you want to ride a motorbike here in Korea you have oh. to take the test. Have to take the test here in Korea, and that would be a whole adventure in itself. I think, um, you know, I, I do take Korean classes, but I think taking the motorbike test would be uh, <laughs> be an interesting. Uh, so for now, it's not uh, it's not happening. Um, uh, that was more back uh, when I was in the UK. Um, so, but I, I have a daughter here, and I, I like to spend as much time as I as I can with her. Mm -hmm. um so yeah like uh after work or on the weekends uh spend time with my daughter uh you know take go for a take a since this year I haven't been able to travel of course internationally so been doing a more like a road trips around korea um so a different place you know water park or beach or something like this any she loves to she's five years old so she'll love doing she loves doing anything uh basically yeah. which is awesome uh, and then I, I, I like going to gym. Uh, I don't know. I, it's funny. It's one of those things when I have, a, I have a younger brother who's like 10 years, nine years younger than me. And uh, he started going recently and he goes, this is so much work. How can you like it? And I was like, I think I started around nine years ago and I hated it, but you just keep going and it's a habit. And after like, I think about once you've been doing it for five years, you start to really just like love it. It's like a meditation for me. I just go there, relax. Mm -hmm. Do some. I don't really do much running or cardio. That's kind of that's kind of that would stress me out. But just the weightlifting and stretching, it's like for me very um, very med relaxing. I guess I do that. And uh, yeah, I mean, so we, we were chatting before we put the um, before we started recording that you had also visited, and the food here is excellent. Yeah, so, yeah. Like Seoul has a lot I to offer. It. Yeah, it's Seoul has a lot to offer in terms of food and places to go and stuff like this and uh yeah so it's meeting meeting friends after work and having some korean barbecue or anything whatever it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a lot it, it's a big city with a lot to offer so having yeah. some uh some some uh korean wheat beer with uh with some soju in there uh, uh oh so mech <laughs> yeah mixing mech, mixing mixture and soju mixing mixing beer and soju soju is like uh they often drop it in a beer, no? As a sort of yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. They call it uh, somek. Yeah, yeah, so, so. yeah. <laughs> so your listeners who are not familiar, like uh, soju is like uh, I guess a rice wine, a bit like the Japanese mm -hmm. sake, sake, but it's uh, but it's the Korean equivalent of soju, and uh, and then beer is called just the beer, the Korean word for beer is mekju, so 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 mek is just means uh beer and soju mixed together yeah i just it's just it's just a way to make it's just a way to make beer stronger basically yeah it's just yeah. a way to get like get, get get yourself going faster but it's part of the it's a common thing <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah no i remember uh so my wife was there for a month um she did an exchange within her company uh, they have a department in um in um in korea well actually a, a company that they bought um and we would um join these people then also on korean barbecues and drinks and stuff um and wow they 
like like you have this idea of 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 uh, Asians that they are a bit more um how can i say held back or something uh but uh, there was a lot of atmosphere always especially helped with the the beer and the soju uh and the food was amazing uh of course all these uh for us uh, westerners funny things about uh, hierarchy uh, that are not really as much present in well at least not in belgian culture i know i know in in, in italy for instance it's, it's a bit more um but uh really nice experience really loved it uh, would love to go back oh, yeah how long are you there now um let me think about a year and a half now yeah yeah ah. and what made you decide to move uh to seoul Oh, well, we, as I said, I have a daughter and yeah, Korean, my mother's Korean. So we, we decided to, that we yeah. want to raise our, our daughter here. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that was, that was the main, that was the main catalyst. Um, but it's, it's been great. I mean, it's one of the luckiest countries to, I mean, this wasn't really in the decision making, but it's, they've dealt with this virus very well. So although it's still quite, um, you have to be, you still, you know, you wear a mask everywhere and you have to. It's a lot of rules and they check your temperature and they track your movements of where you go and these things. But, um, you know, mm-hmm. it has been, they, they haven't had like a full lockdown or something like that. So it's been good there. And, um, we're building, a, we're hiring some, some, uh, people here to build up a small, small cluster. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're pretty remote, but we've built like these, cl- we've got a cluster in Toronto, one in Berlin and now one here in Seoul, which is cool. Um, Yeah, so no, it's great. And uh, I started learning the, taking some classes. I guess that's another thing I do. Uh, I've been, I take two classes a week. It's not, it's not really enough to learn, learn Korean quickly. Um, probably take me like five, 10 years at this rate, but uh, it's good to get back to learning something, especially something that's way, way outside my, my um, comfort zone. I'm like typical English, British person who only speaks English. And it's like really dumb when it comes to foreign languages. Um, So, uh, and I really, I really find the process a little bit hard, uh, a little bit, uh, it's not something that comes naturally. It's like, I have to force myself, but it's, it's rewarding. It's rewarding that I guess I've been studying about seven or so, seven, eight months now. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, it's, it's rewarding to be able to like use more and more and get by and use more and more day-to-day lives. So that's pretty fun. Yeah. Otherwise it's not super easy to get by in Seoul. Uh, yeah right yeah i remember <laughs> taking my phone and and translating a lot of things with the google translate uh live thing <laughs> yeah right yeah when i when i first uh, moved here I, like that was like basically like open every day on the on the on the phone yeah the translate thing uh these days i i i'm it's like less and less i have to use it day to day. Uh, but the jump between being able to just get by and actually have a conversation is so extreme. <laughs> so yeah. like learning enough, just, you know, with three or four months of study, you can kind of learn enough to get by, but then learning enough to like actually have a full on conversation with a local would be like, it, it's, yeah, I think like two years of full-time study and obviously I have a full-time job. So <laughs> maybe it's yeah. five years, five years of evening, of evening or morning. I do morning classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, 
I think it's a long way off, but it's fun. I mean, it's something, it's something to like work at. It's not purely SaaS. <laughs> yeah. I also do, I, I do my Duolingo every day. I don't know where you have Duolingo, English, Korean. Uh, yeah, it does. Yeah, I do. I, I finished the, I, I did that um, before I moved here, the, the Korean Duolingo course. Um, it's good. You finished for it. Oh. Yeah, yeah. There's only, I, I think they don't, I think there's Duolingo has different layers, right? Layer mm-hmm. one, level one. They, I think they only have the initial level with the ah, okay. Korean ones. So it doesn't go, there's not like, maybe it's not as long. Which which one are you? Which one are I'm you? doing, my, my wife is uh, Brazilian, so I'm doing Portuguese. Oh, um, cool. And I am trying to complete level five on everything now, in the, but it's, it's a lot of work, especially because these uh, skills, they often like start cracking, so you need to redo them. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> Tell me about it. I'm already. Language learner. Oh yeah. But... I'm already at it for yeah two years and a half or something now. Uh, I'm, always, so... I'm always a little bit in in, in sort of a slight jealousy there of like content people from places like Belgium or, or Germany or Denmark or you know continental Europe where they all speak English plus they speak their own language plus they often speak also you know, a bit of German, a bit of French, a bit of something. I'm like, ah, this is like, uh, yeah. so, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe they're just not as lazy as we are in England about this or, or there's just more, there's, I guess, more of a focus. It's more of a it. need. Like imagine coming from a place like Belgium. We, uh, uh, in the Flemish speaking part, we are about 6 million. Um, and then we can converse with the Netherlands, uh, which are about, I don't know exactly, 15 million or something. Um, so Dutch is what we start with. Then when we're 10 years old, we start studying French so we can speak with the people at the other side of the country and get a good job in the capital if we want. Um, then we start adding English when we're 14 because the rest of the world is sort of a way to communicate. Then we start adding German because we're 16 because a very small part of the country also speaks German. And then depending on the the level of education you like. If you um, are, are a smart boy or a girl, then you go into uh, things like Latin and Greek uh, because that's still a very traditional way of how things work. Wow. Um, and then you can add on other languages if you like. Um, I personally, I went studying in Italy, so I added Italian. I studied a bit of Spanish, but that's completely gone. And now yeah, the other Portuguese is sort of, uh, so I can speak with, uh, with everyone when we go to Brazil. Uh, it's not because I wanted to learn more languages. But... Yeah, that's very good. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. If you're if you're in Great Britain, why would you learn anything else? It's a uh, there's no real force there to to make you do this, right? So. Yeah, there's nothing. There's there's not a forcing mechanism like the school system. Like. Yeah. I think like in the what you can. I think we were given French, German, or, or Italian as the choice, and I I, I did Italian. And then it's like, I think it's one hour a week. Oh, and yeah. Like, yeah, so it's like one hour a week in a class of 30 kids and uh, with like some homework probably. Like, yeah. yeah. Of course, I didn't learn Italian. <laughs> I don't no. know how to maybe, it's still like a, a little bit I can still remember, but you don't learn, you don't learn the language. Parlo Italiano or something. Or... Yeah. Yeah, 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 it's so good. <laughs> I can still remember how to order some uh, red wine, you know, something like hey, that. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I will not I, ask you to do it. <laughs> yeah, it'll sound funny. It'll sound weird, but uh, I, yeah, I guess. But 
yeah, you don't learn a lot. It's just like a couple of sentences you learn. Cool. Same with them. We also did that when you're younger, it's sort of French. But anyway, there's a big talk about, that's a, that's a, yeah. How's how's Saul actually to be working on in tech? Um, I had a, um, uh, I'm forgetting names now, but I had the co-founder of uh, this chat messaging platform. Um, um, I'm going to do a quick search here. I I think I know uh, the one you mean, Sendbird? Sendbird, yes. Oh, it's been a long while back. I John came on the show, and he told me a story about how he was um, the first startup in Korea to take investment outside of uh, Korea. That there was really n- no such thing as startups uh, nowadays. When we go to startup conferences, at least when we can, uh, there's this uh, Korean state fund that you could talk to that has enormous resources now. How is Korea exactly? developing in their plans to become a, a sort of new tech center uh, with startups? I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I guess I think Sandbird is like quite sort of internationally focused, right? Like, mm-hmm. and, and, I, and I've seen them around. They, I think they have, they, we used to be in the same, we were building as them, although we, we've moved to a different, different one now. But um, so, and I, I've spoken to some, some people there. Um, but uh, Korea has very health. I mean, I'm not an expert on it. I, Korea has a very healthy domestic technology industry. So yeah. unlike Europe, where we use all the stuff that's built in the U.S., most like Google products, Facebook products, Apple products, um, for our services here, they have domestic companies. So for search, they have Naver. For um, e-commerce, they don't you, you know you don't use Amazon here. You use like this Coupang or Naver or Daum uh, uh, or something. I can't remember that now, but I, I generally use Coupang, um, the SoftBank bank company. But it's, it's extremely good service, and yeah, you know for 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 tech for mapping, they don't use Kakao Maps or Naver Maps. Google Maps doesn't really work properly here. Yeah, um, and uh, for messaging and social, they use Kakao. Uh, so they have their own domestic stuff. Um, which is kind of cool. I mean, it's kind of hard when you first come in, you have to learn how to use it. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but, they, but they have their own domestic stuff. And so, that, and they, you know, that means they have like huge, a very healthy technology industry uh, versus, um, you know, where, and then a lot of smaller companies sort of supporting that as well. So um, in terms of like international SaaS startups, there are, uh, there are a few, um, and uh, some of, we even have some customers here that are, that are pretty cool uh, SaaS companies that use ChartMogul and uh, have an international focus. Uh, I'd say it's I'd say it's pretty healthy. I mean, loads of apps getting released, uh, new services like thing like local scooter services like Lime. I use the scooters a lot. I would say Lime is one of the least good ones. I mean, I, I know in the US, they're in my opinion, I'm not rubbishing Lime, but they have some local ones that seem to cost less and. Uh, better quality uh, scooters and stuff, so they have they're quite competitive in those sense. So I'd say uh, this is super high tech com- country like society. Like if mm-hmm. you want to take a subway uh, or a bus, even or a route, it's going to tell you like down to the second when the bus is arriving. If it's full, if you'll be able to get a seat on the bus, uh, and like yeah, in a year and a half, I've never seen, never once had a late subway train. 
or it's just like perfectly accurate. Like everything is like, a, to like a, I don't know how extremely diligent. Uh, mm-hmm. So use of technology in their own country is uh, really high. So the I guess the level of people that must have engineering skills to support all of this uh, must be higher than in, in Europe for sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because technology is deployed all over the place where in England it wouldn't be. Uh, mm-hmm. so, so yeah, I don't know if that, I don't know about like startup, what that means in terms of startup ecosystem, but in terms of their deployment or, or taking advantage of what technology offers, they are definitely, I think, ahead of uh, most Western countries. Um, yeah. In terms of launching new internet startups that are global, uh, I'd say that it's definitely behind Europe and and, uh, and the US. Like yeah, for, yeah. Looking uh, more at the domestic markets. Yeah, or Asian, you know, like, uh, like yeah, so like I know like, like Naver and Kakao, they have reach outside of just Korea, but it's like Japan or Taiwan with lines. So I, but yeah, I'm not really expert because, you know, my focus has been more on, uh, you know, chart mogul and our markets are, uh, yeah, and I, you know, I, I only moved here and a half ago and then Corona happened. So all the networking events kind of haven't really been happening this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so last time I went to a local like networking event was end of last year. So <laughs> yeah. I, I, you're asking about something that I, you know, it's uh, yeah, not, I don't know how no worries. My, my knowledge is. Yeah. yeah. Slowly wrapping up, um, what's the latest good book you've read and and why exactly did you choose to read it? Um, I think, so this Traction book, I think is the one I read and I'm going through it again. Um, But um, I'm not a math, we read it because we we have someone join the company who recommended EOS and that kind of stuff. So I say that that's the one I've already talked about that, but I think it's interesting, you know, to read it, it's a little bit it's, it's not like exciting you know suspense is not fiction right so it's, it, it's a little bit of work to go through it but it's like pretty valuable um but i don't I, i'm not a massive reader you know I, I know as a ceo you're supposed to read you know whatever 10 book, 50 books a, a year i don't know what it's what the number is <laughs> 50 is a lot is. Whatever, whatever nonsense is on like you know business insider or forbes or whatever it is uh Forbes usually is like this CEO wakes up at six and does this and then reads the book and then it's like I don't actually um, I'm not I'm not reading uh, tons and tons of uh, uh, books. No. Okay. Uh, the, the 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 US one about attraction. Okay, cool. Is is there anything you you wish you would have known personally when you when you started out with Chart Mogul that would really help you uh, if you if you do it again? Oh, so so many things, yeah. Like, so many things. Uh, if you if you pick uh, one thing, just just the first one that uh, comes to mind. I think trusting your gut. I think when you're when I first started, um, didn't really know what I'm doing. Uh, still don't know what I'm doing, maybe. But like, you you um, when you start, you kind of like there's a lot of noise, like, and it's it's all it's all good advice, but it's not really relevant always to you to you. So like there's a lot of stuff on Twitter, on blogs, you know, SAS, there's also great resources like Saster, but it's also like, it's also like got their own lens. Like Jason Lennon is awesome, but there's like uh, a lens there around like, you know, this, this way to do that, or, you know, you need to hire these, these people, or you need to raise this, mm-hmm. 
need to this these are the things you need to do um, and there's just so much blogs different blogs and, and and stuff happening on twitter and it's easy to kind of think like i should do these things because this is what all the successful SaaS companies are doing and uh but kind of developing your own sense of like what is right for your business and what makes sense for your business and just being like ultra realistic about that and ultra just trusting your own gut and, and say, okay, actually, you know, we should hire that person, you know, getting good at assessing like who you should hire. The people part is definitely the most important part of running company, getting that right, getting the right people in the company. Um, and I think um, just getting, you know, getting good at knowing what people to bring in and, um, and who's going to work, who, who you want to work with well, and these kind yeah. of things, I think. I think when you first start, it's, 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 uh, you don't have you don't have the good sense, as good a sense as what about your own inner voice or your own inner confidence, and so it's easy to get swayed by outside voices, I guess. Whereas mm-hmm. um, after doing doing this for five six years, I kind of have a good sense for like you know the culture of the company, what we want to build, what type, what kind of people will be able to help us build that, what type of people will be able to take us to the next level or to contribute and, and bring value and, and to be a good fit for company. And it's like everything else is it's nice. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and knowing when to, and, and also focus, right. Um, I think uh, you said earlier, do you plan to expand to other markets? I think one of the biggest strategic mistakes I made was thinking a few years back that maybe subscription market isn't big enough and we should maybe also look at, e-commerce analytics as well because the way we built the platform you know is flexible enough and we didn't know we never really launched that but we started some work on that and i think um you know we, we realized actually you know what we need to put all our energy into our core and just focus on just our core and that's what got us there and that's what's going to get us to the next stage as well so it's like not being distracted by shiny things and just thinking actually we've got a pretty good thing going on with the subscription space and let's just stay hundred percent focused on that. And even, even within that B2B SaaS itself and just, you know, really targeting B2B SaaS as a core and, and mm-hmm. just improving the solution there. Whereas you know, when you're starting, it's like, okay, how, how, you know, thinking too much about how, how do you scale into a hundred million dollar business? But it's like, first of all, you've got to get to a $10 million business first. So how do you do that? Well, I think focusing on your core customer segment is the best way to, to get there. So, Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, so some really valuable points, I would say. Thank you again, Nick, uh, for being on Founder Coffee. Uh, it was okay. really great to have you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yeah. That's it for this episode of Founder Coffee. We hope you liked it. Let the world know if you did. Thanks for listening, guys. 